Welcome to Board Game Famous, the board game podcast that chronicles two brothers as they journey to board game fame. I'm your host, David, and I'm joined, as always, with my co-host, Michael. Howdy, howdy. Man, does it feel good to be back. Hell yeah. (laughs) And to all those Jesse stands out there, don't worry. Even though he's not here today, he will be back. You will hear his comforting voice again. He just wasn't available tonight. But we are reunited, and it feels so good. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And I'd like to give a huge shout-out to Jesse. Jesse, thank you so much for filling in for me while I was away with uh, with a baby. Aw, yeah. She's adorable. But yeah, thank you very much, Jesse. Thank you. This episode is a very special episode. We're going to do a Halloween spooktacular. And with that, we're going to start with what spooky games we've been playing. So, Michael, what you been playing? The spookiest of all games. Capitalism. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, the only game that I played since we last recorded is Ark Nova. We've talked about it a lot, so I will just bring some new perspective to it. David, we are going to have to play so we can actually review this for Game of the Fortnite. Uh, we're going to have to try to get a couple of plays over the holiday. I, I don't want to bury the lead, but do you love this game? I am finding it increasingly more interesting okay and that is that is a political way to not answer your question and (laughs) finally answer it whenever we reviewed on game of the fortnite (laughs) (laughs) but the fresh new perspective about this is i talked to one of my friends in the soccer community because i'm a sports bro go sports and he was telling me about how his son or son-in-law tried to bring this game out for a game night with his friends and uh, they made it two hours of teaching and never actually played it. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. And I have played this game twice, my copy, and I have taught it both times-ish. The first time I played it, the other two people had played it before. Uh, this has been probably one of the more interesting demonstrations of me having to teach a game. It, the instruction book is, I think, 16 pages And there are a lot of very specific terminology to this game that I try to remember. (laughs) And then the way that they interact, it's like, here's how it works this way. But if you're doing this thing, it doesn't follow that rule. Then you have to do it this way. (laughs) And remembering all those and conveying it in a way uh, that makes sense and that people can play it competently their first time and have fun uh i think this has been the most challenging game that i've taught in that sense (laughs) (laughs) um not that it's one of the most challenging games but both times i have read the rule book from front to back to be able to teach this game and i think having a thorough understanding of it really helps improve everybody having a good time the first time so that they come back and play it again because certain things that i miss whenever i read through the rule books that i say to people like hey there there are two tracks and the game ends whenever these tracks meet and then how far apart they get after they meet is your final score michael is doing a very good job with his hand gestures that no one else can see (laughs) (laughs) and so like that's the most important part of the game is these two tracks that are moving my hands are still moving (laughs) (laughs) and so i tell him the like the easiest way to move this track 
are this way. The easiest way to move this track is this way. There are some overlapping ways that moves the track, but just so you know, as I'm teaching this, and you're taking your actions, if you want to move this track, these are the kinds of things that, in general, that do that kind of thing. These are the kinds of things, in general, that do that kind of thing. So, it really helps them focus on how the mechanics actually interact. Do so. you mind teaching this game? Oh, yeah, I'll teach it again. Oh, I guess and, I was just asking, like, it's it's worth the teach, really. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, that wasn't, like, not to you. <laughs> That's just like, if I were to bring this to another board game night with random people, Jesse and I are going to a board game convention here in a few weeks. If I bring that and I meet people who want to play it, yeah, I'll teach them. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, no problem. Hopefully I'm better at it. Yeah. <laughs> so. Sounds like you've been practicing. <laughs> Man, this... this Arc Nova is one of the hotness. It's basically Zoo Tycoon. And I, I really want to get it to the table. I almost had the opportunity uh, when I was at Geekway. I was standing, waiting for my group to show up. They were running like 15 minutes behind. And some some really nice fellow gamer walked up and said, Hey, I see you're alone. We've got an open spot on Arc Nova. And I was like, I would love to, but we cannot get that done in 15 minutes. <laughs> no, we cannot. <laughs> <laughs> It takes more than 15 minutes to set up. So, <laughs> But David, what have you been playing? I'm actually going to answer a different question. I'm going to tell you about a game that I have not been playing. Uh, I wanted to pick a game. <laughs> but you did play it. <laughs> I, I have played it, and I have played it exactly two times. I want to talk about something that's scary, and something that's scary is playing a bad board game. So I'm going to talk about the worst board game that i have ever played ever monopoly no it's not monopoly i've actually never played monopoly by the real rules i've got a high horse about that um i need to try it with the real the uh, correct rules at some point that'd be a good episode yeah uh but this this game is transylvania curses and traitors this is on theme with the uh, the halloween episode that i wanted to do so i want to talk about this game a little bit Transylvania Curses and Traitors is designed by Lauren Cunningham and Jamie Cunningham, published by WIBAI Games. This was a Kickstarter that we actually uh, ended up getting from Geekway. So it was it was a game that my friend won in a little bit of a raffle, so we got it for free. And we sat down to try and learn and play it while we were... This is just... A, we, we, didn't, we had time. We didn't want to go to the library. Didn't want to check anything out from the play and win. So we are like... We got this free game. Let's sit down and learn it. Um, what's something scary that you could think of in a teach? Uh, a bad rule book. Excellent. It was a terrible rule book. Uh, yeah, the, the rule book to this game is incomprehensible. It is also 50 pages long, and that is not an exaggeration. I read through this rule book. Now, it's, it's filled with big text, big pictures, and examples, which I thought was going to be helpful. But it wasn't. It just... It didn't address every situation in the game. Now, the game itself is somewhat of a Betrayal House on the Hill clone, just not well executed. Betrayal House on the Hill, another another very thematic game for the holidays. One that, while not my favorite game, I would play again. I, I've given this one enough, enough of my time. It doesn't need any more. Uh, so in this, you're all playing as different adventurers trying to meet 
the requirements for the specific scenario. And there's there's cards that you flip up that tell you, oh, you're trying to win via knowledge or you're win trying to win via attack, and you're drawing you're you're running around locations, drawing cards, trying to find the specific cards that let you win the scenario. However, within that deck of cards, there's also cards that will turn you into a monster if you collect enough of them. And you can become a mummy, or you could become a zombie, or you could become a werewolf. And when you draw those cards, you don't tell other players, but you have a new mission. Kill everyone else and be the last person surviving. It sounded interesting. It it sounded like a worthwhile time, at least. But after slogging through that rulebook, 40 pages, and then trying to teach people how to play that game, we quickly ran into problems. Uh, So one, I talked about how you can become a monster. It doesn't tell you what happens when you're a secret monster, run into another space, and attack somebody, and it's like, hey, I'm also a secret monster. (laughs) Because once you become a monster, you no longer have health. You just try and destroy everybody before they can meet the win conditions. I was like, hey, I'm I'm also a secret monster. You just wasted your whole turn. (laughs) Hooray, surprise. What fun. The second time we played, the only reason we played was because a friend of ours, uh, Sean, shout out to Sean, (laughs) was like, I've heard this is garbage. Let's try it out. It was, <laughs> and it was just we all went into it knowing it was a bad game that time, so it went a little better. Um, but I remember this scenario was all about collecting specific cards, and I had them in my hand. I just needed to get to the end point. I needed to get to a specific tile on the board and to win the game. And Sean had a card that, one, let him look into people's hands, and then, two, steal cards. So he could look into my hand, see that I had what was needed to win, and then just take it from me. And he followed me around the whole map for the game, and then just ran off the board and won. I think that one was blessedly only 30 minutes long, but still, it was 30 minutes that I didn't need to spend on Curses and Traitors. Man, was this game just a waste of time Uh, in a a future episode i want to talk about uh rating board games right now i have a like a a lower boundary i've got my middle and i've got uh i've got my upper boundary for like my least favorite game the game that i'm most lukewarm on and the game that's the best so i would i would give this just a one this is garbage skip it but are we surprised that this ended up in a raffle (laughs) a, a little bit because, I guess I didn't say it correctly, it's not a raffle. Geekway gives you a free game when you go there. Uh, and it used to be that they have stacks and stacks of different games, and they and you would draw out of that, and, they, and you would just get one of those free games. And there were some really great titles in there. Like, you could win Concordia, or like other games in the top 100. Or you could get Drek, like, Transylvania Curses and Traitors. <laughs> Oh. Yeah, that was actually that was actually a saying that we had because the very next year, the same person won a game called Aquasphere, which is a Stefan Feld game, who's a very well respected designer. Uh, Aquasphere is not his most popular game by any means, but my game group really enjoyed it. We had a ton of fun with it. So after a while, we started saying things like, "Some days you get Aquasphere, some days you get Transylvania Curses and Traitors." <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, man. The one thing that I am grateful for in playing Transylvania Curses and Traitors, and I've, I've been thinking about talking about this game for a little while, is it fundamentally changed something for me when it comes to gaming. I never, never go into a game now without somebody knowing the rules, which means I vowed to never let anybody have this experience ever again. I learn board games so I can teach other people how to play board games so they don't have to, they don't have to suffer through a, through that situation like I did. You don't have to sit through, learn the rules, and then play a garbage game. That, that collective experience of just trying to learn a game is not fun. It's terrible. I don't think it colored our opinion of this game. I do think Transylvania is a terrible, terrible game. But ever since then, I learn games. When I go to a convention, I look up what games are going to be there, and I learn them ahead of time so I can teach everybody I'm going with. I don't sit down and play a game that's long unless somebody there can teach me if I don't already know how to play. And that's just... Yeah, that's just... I just—I guess I have to thank Transylvania for that. It was—it was a formative experience for me. That's the most po- positive way I can phrase that. <laughs> oh, you win some, you lose some, and sometimes you get Transylvania curses. <laughs> Now it's time for Game of the Fortnite, the part of the podcast where we hold one game above all others, at least for the next two weeks. And I just got chills saying that again. Ah, it's good to be back. (laughs) Good to be back. And this Fortnite, we're talking about Mysterium, a game designed by Oleksandr Nevsky and Oleg Sidorenko, published by Libelude Games, and a ton of artists, which is why I didn't name it. In Mysterium, someone has died. Hooray! Now you, as a paranormal investigator, get to investigate the cause of their death. One player plays a ghost, passing out vision cards to every every paranormal investigator, and they stumble clue-like, trying to figure out who did the murder, where they did it, and with what weapon they murdered you with, or murdered the ghost with. The ghost is only allowed to communicate with these vision cards, and each round they pass out vision cards, as many as they want up to seven, which is the hand limit, to a specific player. And they use these clues, these vision cards, to try and select the person, place, and weapon. To help them along the way, the person icon has uh, their accoutrement in the background, in the background, their their livelihood. So, for example, one of the characters is a barber, so it has scissors and a uh, little brush for brushing the beard before you shave. Uh, there's a, a mysterious looking, a shifty looking nanny with, that has yarn and things like that. And players work their way through getting their vision cards, trying to figure out their path because each player has a specific person place and weapon and at the very end players cooperatively get one last vision from the ghost and have to figure out who the true murderer was how's that for description of mysterium it was good i'm trying to think about the the other artwork game dixit dixit i'm I'm not surprised that this game makes you think of dixit because it's the same company same artists yeah the same same artists same the same people 
Yeah, we discussed this in the Jillian episode. Yep. Yes. Yep. She was the first person to bring this up. Did she say this was one this was one of her favorite games with artwork on it? Uh she said there's one particular card that is her favorite uh, <laughs> Jason <art>. Spider. <laughs> Jason Spider. <laughs> shout out to Jillian, shout out to Jason Spider. <laughs> So, for those of you who did not listen to our Jillian slash Jason Spider episode, (laughs) (laughs) um, these vision cards are surreal, abstract, esoteric. Um, You got any other nice words that would impress an English teacher like Jesse? No, I left my thesaurus at home, which is funny (laughs) because I work from home and I'm recording from home. (laughs) (laughs) But it has scenes and landscapes like uh you know a ship going through the clouds where all the crew people are mice and the moon is actually cheese or something like that one of my favorites is it's a car but the car is made entirely out of pastries (laughs) (laughs) these are the cards are something you would realistically see in a dream i can't remember my dreams but i believe you (laughs) (laughs) But, and so these vision cards don't explicitly indicate anything. And so you have to infer, based on these vision cards that you're given, a common theme or idea that matches whatever this ghost is trying to tell you to your character, to the place, to the thing. And my favorite part is the ghost cannot talk. <laughs> has to just give you cards listen to you, you talk out what you think the connection is to these multitude of options that they have to pick from and one person could be like oh this thing is sharp so maybe there's a pair of scissors in it like this thing is sharp and this guy has a sword on his those things are two sharp things so that's definitely the connection. And so, that, oh, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, that, that was it. Or they, they could just be going on and on and on about, it's like, oh, this is white and round. <laughs> that's white and round. <laughs> definitely, that's it. There is nothing more frustrating as being the ghost, hearing one person explain their reasoning for picking a specific card going, yes, you got it. You understood those visions. And then since it's a collaborative, cooperative game, Another player comes in and goes, hang on, did you see that that little red string right here in the corner? Oh, that means the yarn on this old lady right here. <laughs> no, no. Yeah, my, my advice to anyone who plays this game is be explicit. So You can't, you just can't be explicit. And that's... No, 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 it's just like, don't pick the detail... On, on the corner of the card if the card if the main focus of the card is a mouse or clouds or bathtubs or chains or the color gray or something like that that is the main focus don't pick a card because <laughs> there's a rubber ducky in the left hand corner <laughs> that is maybe a millimeter tall <laughs> and hand that is as a vision <laughs> truth <laughs> and you might not you might not always draw the best vision cards that correlate to what you're trying to describe to people and yeah, it can get so, tough so sometimes you just don't have a good option 
a few great things about Mysterium is one, it plays up to seven. Not a lot of play games play up to seven, and Mysterium, I would say, plays up to seven pretty well. Uh, the problem that you get into is like when you what you were just mentioning. Sometimes you don't have great cards for the clue that you want to give as the ghost. And you can get stuck in thinking about your cards and thinking about your cards, and you have to do that for seven people. That that can pose a little bit of a time problem. Another huge plus for this game, it's really approachable. It's incredibly simple to learn and play. You have we one play player. Mom. Yeah, we play with our mom. My mom loves to play. My mom. My mother likes to play. <laughs> My mother doesn't like to play. <laughs> no, mom loves this game. I think she has a copy. I actually got rid of my copy because mom has one. I don't need one. I'll play whenever I visit her. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a good game to break out around spooky times. Uh, downside of this game is I don't actually play by the real rules uh, 100%. I play with a lot of house rules because there's one aspect of the game that I don't like. Uh, I, I glossed over it when I was talking about the 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 kind of intro how to play section of this. Every round, you select what you think the ghost is trying to tell you. So if you're on person, you have a little crystal ball pawn that you place on the person that you think it is. And after everybody has guessed who they think their person is you have these tokens that is yes tokens or no tokens and you place them on other players crystal balls to say yes i think you're right or no i think you're wrong and it lets you gain what i think is called like paranormal power that's what i'm dubbing it now at least and you have to reach a certain amount of paranormal power before you can see the vision cards at the end of the game. So you're supposed to be playing these tokens out, gaining your paranormal power. And once you reach a certain level, you can see the first card. And then you can see the second card. And then you can see the third card. And I, it's, that's fine. It makes the end game way more interesting and more of a challenging game. I don't play with that because it's kind of a kick in the shins when you guess your person and you've been stuck on your person for like two rounds and somebody goes no i don't think you're right i think you're still wrong no that that part that part doesn't bother me it's the fact that if you play poorly sometimes to no fault of your own the experience just doesn't gets worse and worse and worse because in the final round if you play poorly you may see the least amount of information before you have to guess so, you know, the way that the final round works is you have everybody's mm -hmm. combination, if you make it to the final round, that is, uh, you have everybody's combination of person, place, and thing, and you have to figure out which one was the actual set, and the ghost will reveal three cards, and based on your paranormal power, you either get to see the first card, and then have to guess get to see the first two cards and then have to guess or see all three cards and then have to guess so the reason i don't like that is because if you're just playing poorly you get to the end you just get to see one card you have no freaking idea between you know three <laughs> options you have to guess you are basically it makes the end game less fun to, it it makes it interesting but in a theatric sense but it makes it less fun for you right and i think it also adds an unnecessary barrier to the game to what is an otherwise very good family game. 
I think I think adding that little gamification into Mysterium like raises the player age by four or five years. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what it actually says on the box. I couldn't tell you. I got rid of my copy, which is uh, uh, a little bit of foreshadowing. <laughs> <laughs> I will say, and I have mentioned it in a previous episode, shout out to a previous episode, one of the greatest moments in Mysterium was whenever you were the ghost and we were playing with our family. So we know each other a little bit. Uh, you know, we grew up. We have inside jokes. We are funny guys together. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we get to the final round, and the ghost has to uh, give three clues. It's not you may give three clues. You have to give three clues. And so you lay down three vision cards, and we're collaboratively discussing why it is the way it is. And I look at them, and I'm like, this card represents this person because of this reason. This card represents this place because of this reason. This card represents nothing because he just had to give another card. It's just crap. <laughs> <laughs> and you were right. You were 100% right. <laughs> and I was, and it was, I was right. <laughs> it was a fun game. Yeah. So, Michael, oh. do you give Mysterium the board game famous Gold Star Award? No. No. I mean, it comes out every once in a while. I don't, I don't mind it. If it, if it means getting people to the table, I'll play. But, nah, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> David, do you give it the coveted board game famous Gold Star Award? I also do not give it the Gold Star Award. As we were talking about, I play this game with house rules. I get rid of that gamification. I leave those tokens in the box. I think they're unnecessary. It makes the end pretty easy, a little anticlimactic. But if I have to remove a part of a game to have fun with it, it doesn't deserve the gold star. That being said, I definitely think it's worth a play. I think it's more than fine, like you were saying. Like it's just fine. I think it's good, bordering on great. It gets families. I, mean, I, I would I would recommend it to a family. It, yeah, it gets it gets a good amount of people together to play games, and that's that's all that this hobby is about is getting together yeah. and playing games. The last time I played it was after watching. A Formula One race. Afterwards, we were just like, "All right, y'all, y'all wanna wanna play a board game?" There was a bunch of us, and we played Mysterium because it was easy. Maybe tonight, because this episode's being released on Halloween, uh, I'll have Mom come over and bring it, and maybe we can play Mysterium. Not you, I mean, I won't, we, I mean, me, and Mom. <laughs> I mean, I won't be there. <laughs> <laughs> and this next section is brother talk. The brothers are back. And this fortnight, we are talking about the scariest, the thrillingest, the spookiest games. Kind of like Ark Nova. <laughs> <laughs> it is spooky season. And in my heart, spooky season is year-round. But you know, <laughs> we, we, we follow the traditional U.S. calendar, so this is releasing on Halloween. <laughs> So what spooky games do you like? And I mean, truly spooky. Well, I hate that you added truly spooky on there, because scary is something that is very hard to do in a board game. There's not a lot you can do about it. So I was going to focus mostly on the thematic element, trying to get immersed in a, in a spooky universe. 
the spookiest game that I've played is probably one of the expansions for Time Stories. It's called Expedition Endurance, and it is done very well to be spooky. The gimmick in Time Stories is it's it's a Groundhog's Day situation, or a Palm Springs situation if you prefer. That's also a very good movie that has a time loop in it, where you live through events, you run out of time, you start over, and you go through the events with what you've learned. And for me, I think that is a very good uh, method or, or a very good storytelling way for this game. It works a lot. In Expedition Endurance, the first time you visit the timeline, they send you too far into the future. And you go through the time amount that you have, but everybody's dead. And you go through, you, as you go through these rooms, all you find are just spooky, mutilated corpses on the other side of the cards. And the thing about Time Stories is it is beautifully illustrated, full-sized cards filled with art. And it is just, you flip over a card, dead body. Ugh, scary. And some of them are pretty grotesque. This is not one that I would recommend for a family. This is this is one I would recommend for a little, make teenagers and up. PG-13 at least. But after you go, after you go through your timeline, they go, oops, my bad. We sent you to the, the, we inserted you into the wrong part of time. Let's send you back a little bit earlier. And now everyone's alive, but you know what happens to each character that you interact with. And it, I, I, it was just so well done. I, I love that. I love that uh, encounter. It's just really spooky. <laughs> uh, no spoilers, but was it Dracula? It wasn't Dracula, uh, no spoilers, it's more of a uh, Cthulhu-esque adventure. Speaking of Cthulhu, there are tons of Cthulhu games. <laughs> uh, now, the one I was thinking about is just any any Cthulhu-themed game where uh, your character in uh, accrues madness. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there are Cthulhu-like games like Don't Mess With Cthulhu. Which is, you know, fun and silly, wacky, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, uh, Cthulhu's cute. But any any uh, game where you accrue madness and that really impacts how horrible things can happen to you, like Eldritch or Arkham Horror. There is a study in Emerald, I believe. Yeah, that's based on a based off a Neil Gaiman book. I need yes. to play that one. I have played it several times. That's why I was able to name it. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a that's another one where you know it's it's spooky, scary, but in more of the the unknown horror. Then you I have th- your classic horror, where you're facing classic monsters like a Fury of Dracula. Yeah, I think before we jump into Fury of Dracula, I think. The fear of the unknown is the best. It is is the best way to get fear across in a board game, and it doesn't necessarily come across as fear. It usually come across. It comes across as tension in the game. Little, you're running out of time. It's that feeling. A counter on the board. Yeah. Some tokens on your player mat. Some some card that's upside down and you don't know what's on the other side. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Tension. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, that card that's upside down and you don't know what's on the other side, that's something that's in Fury of Dracula. Excellent segue. <laughs> Excellent segue. 
vampires. That's scary, right? Yeah. <laughs> it can but be. It can be. And then you have like the silly, spooky side of betrayal at the house, haunted house on the hill, which we mentioned earlier. A game that I think is mechanically fun, but broken in its balance. Mm-hmm. I think that it has some mechanics that feel good, like exploration. The exploration, the idea of like being in a Scooby Doo group, but that Scooby Doo group doesn't aren't actually friends. <laughs> uh, and ending up in a mansion and exploring that mansion and and spoopy stuff happening in that in that mm-hmm. mansion. I think spoopy is the right word to spoopy right word for that one. Word. Yeah, there are a lot more spoopy games than there are spooky games. It's true. I realize that a lot of games I play have cute woodland creatures. i mean i'm not a huge fan of horror as a genre anyway i remember seeing the trailer for the the latest key and peel movie nope and the beginning of the trailer is about a black family that owns a horse farm or like a, a horse ranch and they're the descendants from the the man who rode the like the very first film the man on a horse and I thought, I was like, oh, man, this is really cool. And then all of a sudden, Jordan Peele sc- scrolls across the screen. I went, nope, not going to see that. <laughs> Nuh-uh. Uh-uh. <laughs> Too scary. He's probably a great director. I haven't seen any of his oh, movies. Oh, all of his movies sound incredible <laughs> with the premise. It's just not for me. No, thank you. Back to sci-fi horror. One of the greatest horror movies in its suspense and its terror is Alien, which lets me segue into the board game Nemesis. I thought you would bring up Nemesis. Nemesis, which, if you've seen the movie Alien, and uh, if you haven't, I recommend. It is a movie where you barely ever see the antagonist, the alien. (laughs) Just one alien. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) That is hunting... The, the main character, the protagonist. But in Nemesis, you are multiple people, but you are still being hunted, and these aliens, because there has to be more multiple of them uh, that are, you know, designed in very phallic, <laughs> phallic ways, can appear suddenly and strike and cause all kinds of chaos, and that tension of wanting to get to the goal on the other side of the ship and then suddenly being ambushed. Oh, it's great. If you play a if you play a game today, and today being October thirty first, twenty twenty two, send us an email. Let us know what uh, what spooky game you like to play on or, uh, on Halloween. Or or message us on Instagram. Or message us on Instagram. Links below. Links below. <laughs> <laughs> Any other spooky games you like? I don't I don't have many spooky games in my collection. Uh, broom service. <laughs> <laughs> it, Not spooky. It, 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 it's cottage core meets spooky. <laughs> it is. Oh, it's so it's so quaint. It's definitely just Kiki's delivery service, is what it is. Yeah. Definitely, definitely not spooky or spoopy. <laughs> no, it's got Vincent to trade artwork. It's lovely. <laughs> it is quaint. <laughs> Now it's time for mail time, the part of the show where we ask a question and then answer it ourselves. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes these quest, sometimes these questions come from listeners like you. 
but not today. (laughs) (laughs) Today's question comes from me off the top of my head. What is the worst loss you've ever had in a board game? I'll answer the question first. I have one that comes to mind. I've I've got two that come to mind. Uh, One is Twilight Imperium 4th Edition. I love this game, but it's lucky that I do because the first time I played, I scored one point. It is a race to 10 points. It takes all day to play. I think we took six-ish hours to play, so we were a pretty fast group playing. I scored one point. It was brutal, but I still had a lot of fun playing. Another another one that springs to mind is actually way more recent. This is a game that I got to play while on break with, uh, with my daughter at home. Uh, Ellen and I got a chance to play Great Western Trail, and I think I'll talk about this in a future episode, but it is the worst game of Great Western Trail I've ever played. And Ellen more than doubled my score. <laughs> Jeez. It, it was embarrassing. Just just a complete womp down. I don't know if it was a combination of just lack of sleep from having a baby or endless like finally getting back into games, but it was rough. <laughs> when you said worst loss, I was... There are many... Worse is subjective. And there are many things that you can consider, quote-unquote, worst. Like, you know, you just had a bad performance and you got shut down. Or, it was a crushing loss because you were so close and yet you still lost. (laughs) And that hope and that closeness is the crushing part of it. That's what makes it worse. And to that first point, what is the widest margin I have lost? I've been put down in a game. I have played Food Chain Magnet once. <laughs> and only once. And it is quite clear why I had the experience I did. And that is because the game was poorly taught to me. I did not understand the mechanics of what the hell was going on when that game was taught to me. They was just poorly taught. And I've talked to you two of the other three people that I played with that day, and they also said that it was poorly taught to them. They just got lucky on a couple of things, so they were able to perform a little bit better. I lost Food Chain Magnet, not on the first turn, but during the setup phase. <laughs> oh, no. Food I... Chain Magnet is a game about making money and having the most sales. I made one sale during the entire game a game that lasts two hours two-ish hours Uh i made one sale and i lost during the setup and i didn't even know it and by the time i figured out that i was not going to have a good time i had two options play out play out the rest of the game effectively taking non-actions for the next an hour and a half or two just leave the table because we didn't have enough time to play another game so did you so, did you that, spend your time just taking non-actions i took non-actions in food chain magnet for an hour well technically two hours because uh that's how long it took <laughs> uh, but i uh i took non-actions in a game but only realized it for an hour and a half <laughs> making one sale in the entire game that's how bad it was i've i've had an experience like that um I think the reason that that doesn't come across as my worst loss, this was in an 18xx game. I was effectively shut out. 
I was just running my own little route off in the corner, couldn't, wasn't hurting nobody. And then the difference was the turns in this 18xx game take 20, 30 minutes for most players. Me, it took two minutes because I had, I was so far cut out of the game. I would, there was no way I was winning. Uh, I would take my little turn and then I would just leave the table and chat with Ellen for, uh, for about an hour until like, Hey, come back in. Like, oh, okay, is it time for me to, to deal with my own little corner again? <laughs> I made sixteen notes this time. Yay. <laughs> so yeah, I would say that's that's the worst worst loss. Would I go back to food chain magnet? I don't know, man. Like even I mean, if, I need even, to. It's it's in the top one hundred. Even if there's someone who was different to teach the game to me, who could explain it better, would I still want to play it after that experience? I'm not so sure. That's that's rough. Thank you for listening to another episode of Board Game Famous. If you have any questions or comments or just generally want to tell us what a great job we're doing, please email us at boardgamefamous at gmail.com. Or you can join in in our discussions where we play Guess What Game We're Playing or just general discussions in our Discord using the link below. It's Camelot. (laughs) It's (laughs) It's Camelot. Using the link below. I think that's the part you talked over. (laughs) (laughs) Also, if you want to see some pictures of what we're doing or what games we're playing, check out our Instagram, also with the link below. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. It's a girl. It it, it is a girl. I don't know. I think I've said that somewhere on our podcast. I think in the last episode, I, I said that you just had a baby. <laughs> <laughs> a genderless baby. <laughs>